Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. If you haven't listened to the news over the last 24 hours, make sure that you don't have turkey ground chopped meat because it might be tainted and it's better not to take the risk. And um, speaking of risk... We have a variety of experts that are on our show, and today we have experts in the field of law, and we're going to talk a little bit about how the law business is doing these days, particularly in light of the soft economy, and um, with me today, I have um, the go-to law firm for any business matter um, and the principles that run that firm, and on the first couple of segments, we're going to be talking to the managing director, Jim Felton. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Cindy. How are you this morning? I'm good, and you sound good. I was all, you know, all pointing my finger at you for the mobile phone, but you sound just fine. Good. Yeah, it sounds good. So, you know, as I said in the introduction, um, a number of businesses have changed over the last two, five, ten years, um, particularly in the service industries and for service professionals. We've all had to reset and make some adjustments and adaptations, and certainly um, not only on the business side, but on the client side as well. So from your point of view, how has the practice of law changed um, over these years? And you could speak in increments and give a general bird's eye view from a decade and then closer into more recent history. Well, um, I think what we're seeing or what we've seen over the last couple of years, and and I'll, I'll stretch it out, but as the economy really tightened, um, I think service professionals became much more commoditized, like plumbers and um, painters and um, uh, those kinds of services. And what I mean by that is that I've had significantly more discussions over the last two to three years with prospective clients about hourly rates and flat fees and gee, you're charging $400 an hour, but the other guy will do it at 325 And they're, the, these conversations are very similar to the conversations you would have with, with a painter, um, where you might want to paint your house, and you get three bids, and, and you don't really know which one is better because they've all been recommended, but one costs 6500 and one costs 8500 and the other costs 10000 and you just don't know why the the ten thousand costs what it does, 
Um, and we're having those conversations. People don't understand, either they don't understand the value of the services or they really just commoditize them and they want to go with the cheapest quote. Um, and, you know, we all know from our lives that, that it, the cheapest quote isn't always the best way to go. No, Jim, because what I always tell people, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Uh, that's true. And, but the problem is it's very difficult. You know, I can't... Um, I guess I can't take them over to the to the to the house down the street and say I did this one to so take a look at it. Um, I can I can I can refer them to a client who may be happy, but the the case is probably different, and it's not it's not just a house; it's some other thing. So it's very hard to provide people with assurances that they're getting the value for the service you're providing. Right. No, I think that's that's very very true. So talk about so what you're seeing, and this is over the long term is that because, and tell me if I'm wrong, I'm just trying to summarize, that because people have financial challenges more than almost ever in our lifetime, um, that people in general, when they're looking for an important service like law, they because of limited dollars, sometimes they're going to make the wrong decision based on what the you know, the full-scale price might be for the service. That's exactly right. And, and the other problem that we have is because, um, especially on the litigation side, um, if you said to me, you need to, to tell me how much it's going to cost to do X, I could probably give you a pretty good estimate. But over the course of any piece of litigation, there's all sorts of twists and turns. I mean, for example, um, you may present a case to me and I say, gee, I think we probably need to take two or three depositions. Well, what if the other side thinks we need to take seven or eight? Um, I can't stop them from taking seven or eight, and that's going to triple the cost of of the deposition phase of it alone. So I may give you an estimate, um, but that estimate is based on a certain set of facts, which in litigation may or may not be true. Um, the other thing that can happen, unfortunately, is, uh, again, it, it's very easy. It's, it's, it's like the, the, I'll go back to the plumbing analogy. Um, the guy's got a plumber's got to uh, open a wall to fix a pipe. Well, um, he he's probably done it a hundred times. He probably generally knows what it's going to be. But what if the problem that he can't see really isn't located in a particular spot, but it's located there and then five feet down and five feet down? Well, it's going to cost more. Um, and unfortunately, because you I've done this for. 23 years, there are occasions when things don't happen the way they're supposed to. And sometimes when we talk to clients about pricing, um, we, you know, we, we tell them about these things, that we can't control certain things. And, and I'm not sure that um, everybody does that as opposed to saying, oh, no, it's going to be this. Don't worry, don't worry. And then they worry about the problems later. Well, you know, that happens a lot. And how many times do we hear of clients that might not be satisfied because they tried to save money with a litigator that wanted to close the deal, just get the fee, right? Right. And then that litigator says, well, now we've come into this and it's going to cost you more. And then they complain that, you know, (laughs) that, you know. And and the problem, the other problem we have is um, clients in today's world often ask about flat fees. Um, you know, can you do this project for X? Flat fees can work in, in some situations. They can oftentimes work in transactional situations where someone needs to document uh, a transaction because you, you, you more or less have a pretty good sense, you know, maybe 90% worth of, of what's going to happen. Um, 
but the problem with a flat fee is, let's face it, if things go haywire and now you've spent your flat fee, uh, as a lawyer, you're going to have a disincentive to work on that case. And it's to the client's disadvantage, frankly, even though they may not have to pay the lawyer any money. But uh, a lawyer that's not getting paid because he made a bad deal is not your best advocate in court. Um, so. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, again, you get what you pay for, really, and it's a shame that it's so hard sometimes for a service professional to explain that to a consumer that doesn't have business savvy. You have to, it, it, it's like most things in life. You go through something, you get burned, and then you realize, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And, and uh, for many people, uh, a lawsuit might be the first time they've had to deal with uh, uh, with uh, lawyers. That's that's very true. I think that there should be, I think that there should be, you know, sort of, you know, consumer education classes and how to work with lawyers. There's plenty of business to business classes. Well, um, yeah, and, and look, I mean, I, I'm I am generalizing. There's um, uh, a lot of good relationships between clients and lawyers, and and many many understand it. And uh, but uh, there's a lot that that really that I mean education would be great and. Unfortunately, the Internet is, like for most things, it's good and bad. I mean, there's good education, and then there's, hey, somebody, you know, somebody can do my, my will for $500. Well, okay, really? <laughs> yeah, well, 100 really, <laughs> seriously. Well, you know, we were talking about the bird's-eye view, and we were talking about how the business has changed, you know, from a macro 10-year standpoint. You bring up the Internet, Jim, and um, I'm sure that that has a lot to do with how the law business may have changed over the last two and five years because the Internet has proliferated and has grown so much and has become a part of everybody's lifestyle. Uh, it has, and, and it, it, you know, look, it, I, look at, I look at my own life where um, uh, when's the last time I went to uh, a Borders or a Barnes & Noble as opposed to ordering something online? Um, and no offense to those beautiful stores, but it's it's either cheaper or easier to buy it online. So um, that those principles are being applied everywhere, including including law to some extent. You know, if people think that they can get um, a good enough product online, they'll buy it. Yeah, I think that's really really true. But for the reasons that you've mentioned previously. It's really not the best way. It's for, for something as important as legal issues. It's probably not the best point of purchase. <laughs> no, it's not, and and that's and that's the difference. There's got to be there's got to be a, a priority or a scale where you know, certain things you you are are able to. Uh, to you're able to accomplish on the internet, but other things you just shouldn't. Oh my God! I have to interject. I just had like such a funny thought, and I'm sure that this is really happening in reality too. You know, and we all have to deal with offshore and outsource international outsourcing, and we know about you know the telemarketing rooms and you know people in Asia who say their names are Jane and Susie. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's law services that are available that way from people that are in a room somewhere in the Philippines trying to give you legal advice. Yeah, no, and, and actually um, you're right. that it, it, It's not quite as um, uh, broad as that in the law, but uh, certainly there are... Um, uh, I mean, here, here's where it gets really, really macro ironic. There are lawyers, there are, there are Indian lawyers who are well trained, but who are paid so little money that they that they basically work now overseas 
four law firms here, and the work gets farmed out, the work that people think can be done you know, really um, like you would hire a contract lawyer, somebody that wasn't with your firm but was doing it off-site, and it's all sent away. Uh, and okay, it actually is an industry that does that. It's, it's really not that far-fetched then, is it? <laughs> it's, not a, it's actually not at all far-fetched. Um, no. And in the accounting world, it's been happening now for probably 10, 15 years where literally the returns are being sent uh, overseas and done. Um, there's a firm in town that almost exclusively sends all of their returns overseas to be done. All right. Well, that is very twilight zone for a lot of service provision areas, but that's a whole other show, and maybe you'll be a guest on that one. There you go. What, <laughs> what is the most common problem facing clients in their dealings with lawyers today, would you say? Um, oh, the most common problem is really our our problem, which is uh, lack of time explaining the process and lack of communication uh, during the process. Um, it's vitally important, and, and we, we we don't do this uh, do this perfectly by any stretch. It's vitally important to keep the client informed, and more importantly, to tell the client what's going on. Um, it, it's it's you know, it's sort of like the, the doctor shows where you, you watch something on TV and the doctors are all talking to each other and you don't really know what they're saying, but you know they're saying something that has to do with, with some cure or some whatever. And I think as lawyers sometimes we, we, we can do that as well. We talk to clients in terms that they don't understand, thinking that they're, well, why don't they understand it? We understand it. Um, and I think we, need, we just generally need to do a better job of communicating with them and telling them what's happening in terms that they can understand. Yeah, well... And I think the complaints that you'll get primarily from clients who are dissatisfied, the, the biggest complaint, no doubt, is lack of, lack of communication. Uh, they get a bill for services. They don't understand what's been done. And it's the, really, it's our fault for not explaining it, or, or at least not documenting that we explained it. Well, that seems like it's an easy problem to continue working on, right? Um, it's an easy problem to fix. It's, it requires lawyers to take more time recognizing that the problem exists. Well, it's good that you articulate the fact that it exists so well, Jim. Um, it, definitely, it definitely exists because um, I, 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 I know when my bills go out, sometimes I'll get a call, you know, what is this? And then I realize that I, I just didn't do my job in explaining even though it's on the bill, it's just not explained well enough. All right. Well, I, I think that we could all, all service professionals can always communicate a little better. Yeah. We're, gonna co- we're coming to the end of this segment, Jim. I know you're staying with us for a whole other segment after the commercial break. Um, I know that we have a couple of more questions to go through, and we certainly have enough time to talk about malpractice and, and claims against lawyers and whether they have risen or not and bankruptcy filings, which is one of your litigation specialties and, um, you know, real estate values and bankruptcy filings and um, business litigation in general. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, but at the end of this segment, I want to just make a jump to the personal arena of congratulations, and I want to congratulate you for your son's accomplishments. He's building houses in Chile. Yeah, he is. Um, he's coming back tomorrow. He, uh, he went with a, is a soccer coach, took about 14 kids, and they went to Chile for about eight days, and um, 
although they, they did get to play some soccer. It was really about building homes in, a, in the city of Iloka, which was hit both by the earthquake and, a, and the subsequent tsunami. Uh, that is something to be very proud of, Jim. We're going to come back right after this commercial break, so don't go away. Stand. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where you're a Counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're talking to the best mid Law Firm in the Valley, and we have the partners, and we're talking to the managing director, and his name is Jim Felton, and if you missed the first segment, please go back, rewind, take a listen, because it really talks about how the law practice um, is, the state of law practices, and how they are doing as businesses, particularly during these soft economic times and some of the challenge and why Greenberg and Bass is still the best firm to go to in spite of all of these challenges. Jim, we are um, in the last segment, I teased the fact that we're going to talk a little bit about malpractice claims against lawyers and whether they have risen or not and if they have, why. So tell me all about that. Well, uh, unfortunately, um, for lawyers, they've, they've definitely risen and um, it's it's really not surprising um, in this economy. What what's happened is that as money gets tighter, people look for other avenues to get paid the money they otherwise aren't receiving from from the usual sources. Um, so what what you're seeing is is lawyers becoming the guarantors of results. I mean, look, there are times where lawyers screw up like anybody else screws up. So there's, there, are re, there are real claims, and, and lawyers do make mistakes, and that's what insurance is for. Um, but, but in many instances, I mean, we have one in our office where, where we've been sued um, based upon a, a client that actually settled a case at a mediation and, and now believes that they paid too much. Um, it, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of hard to go back to 
where you were in a mediation, there's, there's any number of reasons why you settle a case at a, at a settlement conference or a mediation, and to now go back and say, oh, well, I, I, I shouldn't have done that or I didn't know what I was doing after you know, a six-hour mediation kind of puts the lawyer in a really terrible position. Um, and, and unfortunately, and this is, this is an area where the California Supreme Court is actually helping us, uh, they, they've issued a ruling recently about whether what kind of communications can be utilized in a subsequent malpractice lawsuit that came from a mediation. Uh, the problem is that, that pretty much anything said in a mediation is confidential. Uh, and the problem is when someone sues you and says, I should have settled for, I should have settled for less or I paid too much, um, the discussions that, that took place in the mediation are technically privileged. So how do you defend yourself from that claim when what you really want to say is, but don't you remember, Joe, when we discussed the 16 pros and cons at the mediation and we went through the list and here's what we decided and blah, blah, blah. So the court has recently helped lawyers by essentially saying that um, we don't have to prove, um, we don't have to go through uh, those kind of discussions. If there was a settlement and a mediation, it's going to be very difficult for a client to to allege that that was a reason why uh, they should uh, uh, be able to sue for malpractice. Well, it's encouraging to know that the Supreme Court evolves. <laughs> it's, it's, it, 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 in this particular instance, it made a lot of sense um, because you, you really are at a disadvantage if you can't otherwise talk about what, what occurred. Yeah, no, I I could see how that might be a problem. Yes. But, um, I mean, but do you think that claims have risen also, again, to use the veneer of our dismal economy because everybody's scared and everybody's, you know, really uptight about money and what they spent and what they have and all of that kind of stuff. Do you think that that's, you know, somewhat of an indicator or a prompter? Um, I think it is uh, definitely a reason why people are looking for alternative sources for the the money that they would otherwise be getting through business. Um, if look, I mean, it's like any it, it's it's there's a seg- there's always a segment of our of our community. For example, you know, somebody hits you, um, uh, or you hit somebody rather, and there's not that much damage to the car. Probably eight out of ten times they'll say, you know, they'll get an estimate, it's $300. They'll say, write me a check and we're done. And then two out of ten times they'll say, you know, I had to go to the doctor 16 times and, and uh, you need to pay me $10,000. And people, some people just want to take advantage of a situation where others don't. And we're seeing the same thing. And maybe, unfortunately, it's getting greater. Some people, uh, I mean, the, the, the law business is imperfect, um, whenever you go to trial, whether it be before a judge or a jury, people make interesting decisions. And um, I used to tell people when they asked me about jury trials, I, I used to say, I have two words for you, OJ, um, and now we can add two more words, which are Casey Anthony. Um, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. And unfortunately, if you put your, your future in the hands of a judge or a jury, things won't always go the way you want. Uh, and all that means is that you have to be prepared to lose. And losing sometimes prompts people to wonder, well, did my lawyer screw up? Yeah, no, that's, it's a reasonable reaction, I guess, but it's not always the lawyer's fault. Exactly, and, and sometimes it is. But sometimes decisions are made uh, on, 
on the criminal stage, it's real simple because because oftentimes we we talk about, and I don't do criminal law per se, but but we talk about you know does the defendant testify, and in most cases defendants don't testify, and in a few they do, um, and the lawyer has a if if the defendant doesn't testify and the client gets convicted. Well, gee, why did you not have them testify? And so it's one of those difficult choices that you just make because you have to make a call. You have to make a decision, and it's impossible to know. But we can't be we can't be sued for malpractice. For I mean, we shouldn't be sued for malpractice for making what I would consider to be a tactical decision, which um, may or may not be may or may not end up to be the right decision. Well, and I, and I think that's that's definitely right. And Bankruptcy. We talk about the economy, and yep. you know, I guess the filings are still up. <laughs> yeah, the filings are are um, they're up. I I haven't looked at the latest numbers in terms of individual filings. Um, those may not be up per se because I mean, shoot, we probably had in the last couple of years the, the largest number of people filing in a very very long time. So they 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 on a on a um, on a comparison basis, they may technically be down, but to say that people are doing well would be a uh, um, <laughs> would be sort of funny. Um, I, I uh, people always say to me, I tell them I do bankruptcy, and they say, oh, you must be so busy. And and the the irony of it is, there's there's a whole lot of people that need our help, and and there's a much smaller subset of those people that can actually afford our help, uh, and. Like like any service business, I don't want to be their next creditor. So um, uh, I've got to be careful as a as a business lawyer and a bankruptcy lawyer to make sure that the work that I need to do for them to help them, I can get paid for. Um, and uh, the reality in today's world is there's a there's any number of people that have significant financial problems and um, they can't even afford lawyers. Right, it's you know it's um, but it's a real part of the equation, and I guess the best you can do it goes back Jim to what you said in the first segment. It's all about communication and whether you can communicate and assess the roller coaster ride that they're going to face, and knowing what the cost may be based on a number of different scenarios. And, and look, there are I mean we. we there are lawyers that do what we do and can do it for less because they're at a smaller firm or they they maybe don't give as much hand holding and to me it's 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 almost like um i mean those look those people deserve to have representation um it doesn't have to be me uh if i if they can't afford me but they should be able to find someone and and to me it's 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 almost like picking out a countertop in a kitchen your contractor can show you you know well this is this one is $4 a square foot, and this one is $26 a square foot, and they may not be able to afford the $26 one, but they can afford the $4 one. Um, and you know what? The $4 one will work just fine. may not be as nice as the other one, um, but you make choices. And, and not everybody can... You know, I, can't, I don't drive a Bentley because I can't afford it. doesn't mean I, I, I should have one. Uh, we all have to make choices. And, and as a professional, I just have to make sure that I don't... Um, uh, again, you know, become the next creditor uh, because I'm doing work for someone that can afford some of what I am owed, but not all of it. Uh, but I think that's true for a lot of service professionals these days when they're making decisions about how well they can help potential clients. I mean, it's something that 
you know, all has to go into the equation. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit since we have a few minutes left at the, on this segment, Jim. How do real estate values affect possible bankruptcy filings? Um, the real estate values, both on the the residential side and the commercial side, are driving people to attempt to utilize bankruptcy to stop foreclosures. Um, I use the word attempt because a bankruptcy will will stop a foreclosure temporarily, but if you really don't have any equity, whether it be in your commercial building or your house, um, ultimately uh, the lender is going to get relief, what's called relief from the automatic stay. The automatic stay is what happens when you file. And um, the lender is going to get relief. So, so the question oftentimes becomes, I'll, I'll just give you an example. So you, you owe 800 grand on your house, and it's now worth 600000 And for because you've lost your job, you can't afford the payments, which are, I don't know, say $4,000 a month. So now you're four or five months or more in arrears. You can't afford it. The banks start the foreclosure, foreclosure proceedings. You could file a bankruptcy. You could buy yourself two more months, maybe three more months, in the house, um, the question becomes at what at what cost, and is that money better spent uh, at finding an apartment uh, and putting a down payment down, or you know, a, 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 a deposit down on an apartment or on a house, uh, as opposed to paying a lawyer to to buy you two or three months, but ultimately the same result. Uh, that's a client decision to make, but in those circumstances, there's really no fix. All we're all we're buying is time, and if if five thousand dollars is is a, a a price that someone's willing to pay to buy three months, okay. I mean that's that's doable, but it doesn't really get you doesn't solve the problem. No, it really doesn't. Gosh, there's all kinds of challenges these days, but it seems, Jim, that you know people really should come to Greenberg and Bath for a consult because. You're the honest law firm and a law firm that probably will give the clients the least amount of headaches when they're dealing in the law business, right? That's a well, good assessment. I thank you for saying that, and, and maybe you've just given us a new, uh, a new brand. So, but uh, certainly it's, it's, uh, I'd like to think that we try to come up with advice that's really the best advice for the client, even, even if it isn't the best uh, monetary uh, um, uh, advice for us, if you will. And again, remember, what do you get when you pay peanuts? <laughs> Monkeys. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jim, have a good day in court. Thank you so much for spending, you know, a half hour with us. And um, for those of you that missed Jim Felton from Greenberg and Basket, go back and listen. And in the next segment, we'll have Jim's partner, David Edelman, talking a little bit about corporate responsibility. Stand by and learn what that is. Thank you. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back and we're talking about the law business today and many, many elements of the law business. Um, and we now have Jim's partner, David Edelman. Good morning, David. Hi, Cindy. Good morning. Um, and um, Greenberg and Bass basically is a business law firm, but like a lot of other law firms, they have different areas of focus and, you know, different varying areas of expertise. And, David, why don't you describe what your focus is? Well, uh, Cindy, I head up the firm's um, transactional practice. Transactional meaning, um, you know, I don't go to court really for any reason. I don't. I haven't been to court in about uh, five years, and uh, if I don't see the inside of the courtroom, uh, better for me and better for my clients because I'm most comfortable in dealing with my clients' business and real estate transactions. Okay, but you also do a lot of other things. I mean. You know, talk about business and real estate transactions, but then we could talk about your other specialty areas. Well, in you know, in general, I tend to serve as um, outside in-house counsel, meaning a lot of my clients are large enough to have a, to do a variety of types of business and have a lot of different business needs, but they aren't necessarily large enough to hire in-house lawyers to take care of those needs for them. So um, I sort of act as a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to my clients and what their business needs might be on a day-to-day basis. You know, I'm on one day, you know, for instance, on my desk now, I'm dealing with just a variety of matters. I'm dealing with a a, um, a new lease for one of my clients. I'm dealing with um, another instance where um, the shareholders of a company are putting together a business um, arrangement between themselves called a shareholders agreement. I'm working on a distribution agreement for an eyewear company uh, which is wanting to do business in Japan. So, you know, the best thing about my my desk is that uh, there are just so many different types of things on it that it's hard for me to get bored or complacent. Yep, that's for sure. (laughs) 
Is there any other new proposed legislation that affects your practice? Well, um, you know, uh, about a two years ago, a client came to me. He owns some. Uh, he owns, owns some industrial space downtown along the L.A. River, and it's a fairly large industrial space. But it had been, you know, with the soft economy, it, it had become vacant, and he was having a really hard time leasing it up. Um, you know, even at rock-bottom prices, nobody wanted an old warehouse down by the L.A. River. So um, he got it in his mind that he wanted to turn this particular warehouse he had into an urban farm where he would grow um, crops outside of the warehouse and grow crops hydroponically, legal crops, (laughs) hydroponically inside. Um, And uh, the, the money that he could get from selling food was larger was a larger number than what he could get from renting out the space so that's what that's what his plan was and he's uh, you know a fairly socially conscious individual so he um took a a CEO class which focused on creating what was called a public benefit corporation and a, a, a public benefit corporation in this in his mind and in the class he was taking was really a, a corporation that um, uh, that was uh, initiated for some public good and in this instance it was uh, he was going to be growing food and you know going ahead and selling it on the open market often to help people in need so he came to me, wanted me to help him set up this corporation in Delaware, and I thought it was sort of a fascinating idea. So I started to look into the idea of, of socially responsible corporations a bit more. And uh, last year I came across a new bill that had um, been introduced in the California legislature, and that bill is called the Corporate Flexibility Act of 2011. Now, our, you know, the California Corporations Code is replete with acronyms. You have LLCs, which are limited liability companies. You have LLPs, which are limited liability partnerships. You have GPs, which are general partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this, this bill would add another acronym to the Corporations Code, and it's called the, known as the Flexible Purpose Corporation. And, um, that bill is starting to gain momentum in the California legislature, and and because of my socially conscious personal um, um, bent, um, I'm I'm hoping that by the end of the year it will it will be passed into legislation. So then, you know, people would have that FPC after their names. Well, it gives it. It's not after somebody. It's, it could be after a corporation's name, yes. And it, it really gives it, when someone with someone who's starting a corporation or someone who has an existing corporation that might want to sort of change what it it change the focus that it had previously uh, been devoted to. This FPC 
really puts another arrow in the quiver of corporate planning. When personally, I hope that a lot of corporations will will uh, adopt it because what this flexible purpose corporation does is allows corporations to for-profit corporations, if you will, or non-profits if they want to necessarily migrate into that form. But it allows for-profit corporations to adopt a charitable purpose as part of their corporate mantra or corporate, um, you know, the, the purpose of the corporation so that it would allow corporations to do well making a profit and do good helping others at the same time which is kind of a kind of a unique and different uh mindset than people are used to looking at corporations uh Well yeah because and it's not a non-profit per se which is 501c3 um correct. you know it's different in its structure It is it is different because it allows it it would allow corporations to to act in their you know in their profitable ways and yet at the same time if the shareholders or the managers or the directors um want thought it was it would help their corporate cause or help their corporate purpose to do something charitable they could do that at the same time and here's the here's really why this why this um corporation corporate form is being considered currently with um corporations um the officers and directors of for-profit corporations really work for the shareholders and what do the shareholders want most of the time shareholders of corporations want their co- corporations to make money so that in the end their stock becomes more valuable in a public corporation or in a private corporation their distributions are greater to the shareholders so you know the these charitable purposes sort of zap the ability of the corporation to maximize their profits so officers and directors are scared right now by devoting any corporate res could be scared by devoting any corporate resource to charitable purposes because it's going to take away from the profit aspect and that's what shareholders derivative suits are about in large part but this particular new bill would really wipe out that type of of shareholder derivative action and as long as the shareholders generally approved a charitable purpose for the corporation it gives the officers and the directors the flexibility and the freedom to pursue that um with vim and vigor which you know in this world of ours you know there's a lot of corporations out there that are professing to be corp- socially responsible some of them actually are some of them unfortunately and this ties into your business hide behind this veneer of of corporate responsibility on their website and their tv ads you know here we've done, donated something to africa but in the end it's all just a veneer it's all a, a pr scheme to make that appear like they are a uh, socially responsible company but in the end it's really just masking un- socially unresponsible actions that that corporation may be taking Oh, I think that's really true. Um, I but I I like this whole, you know, social responsibility um, and the Senate bill. And I do you have do you have any kind of estimate as to when this might 
Um, uh, it would it, it hopefully by the end of the year. I mean, it's it's going through committee right now. You know, the the uh, California legislature has has a lot of different challenges right now, and its focus. You know, it's a in large in many times a fairly dysfunctional. Um, governing body, like we're seeing in other parts of our country as well. But uh, you know, this 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 particular bill seems to have uh, gained some traction. And you know, as it winds through the committee, you know, maybe it, it has very little financial impact on the state. Um, so the odds are that if it gets to the to the um, you know finance committee standpoint, it's going to be looked at more favorably than other bills because of the limited financial impact that it would have on the state. Well, listen, this is um, a plethora of information, David. So thank you for sharing it. And we're coming to the end of the segment. Um, and next, we're going to be talking to the third partner of Greenberg and Bass, and that's Keith Gregory. Um, so this show will give listeners a full look at some of the possibilities and capabilities of business law firms. So stand by and we'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back talking to the partners from the best mid-sized law firm in the San Fernando Valley, Greenberg and Bath Law. And um, now we have Keith Gregory, who we call that damn lawyer. And Keith, why don't you tell everybody why we call you that damn lawyer? Hi, Cindy. How are you this morning? I'm good, Keith. Great. How are you? The reason why I'm called that damn lawyer is because um, I do a lot of work with distributors and manufacturers, advising them in both litigation and transactional matters. You know, um, when someone has a labor issue, they look in the labor code, and if somebody is facing uh, a probate, they'll look in the probate code. Well, um, all distributors and manufacturers deal with the buying and selling of goods, and the buying and selling of goods 
is really the laws dealing with the buying and selling of goods is really laid out in the commercial code, Article 2 of the commercial code. And very few lawyers are really familiar with that particular set of laws, and that's one of my areas of specialty. So um, I'm able to advise clients on those issues as well as helping them protect their trade secrets. And distributors and manufacturers have lots of trade secrets. Yeah, no, you vote, and may I add, you ju- you know, we just found the acronym DAM lawyer for you, but before we did the DAM lawyer, you were the trade secret lawyer, so it's well, all it's, kind of related, isn't it? Yes, it is. It, it really is, because, um, you know, especially with both distributors and manufacturers, you know, they have lots of customers, and in order to protect their customer list, because quite often these distributors will have employees who want to open up their own businesses. And um, in order to prevent them from just taking the customer list and gaining an unfair business advantage, I help the, the, my distributor clients and manufacturer clients in preparing what are called confidentiality agreements to that they have their employees sign to make sure that they're not taking the confidential and proprietary information that they learn from the companies that they're working for. A very, very good idea in this day and age. So tell, um, is there a specific case that you have recently resolved for one of your distributor clients that you'd like to talk about? Well, sure, uh, Cindy. Um, you know, I was involved in a case recently where my my client is the, uh, sells electronic components. I have a lot of clients who sell electronic components. And one of my clients had sold some parts that were allegedly um, of poor quality, and we ended up going, instead of uh, we, what we try to do quite often is to avoid litigation because litigation is just terribly expensive and time-consuming for clients. It's terribly stressful. And so what I suggested to the clients was that we go out and meet with their customer um, at their location, which was out of state. And we ended up meeting with them, and not only were we able to successfully settled the case for, you know, an amount that everyone considered reasonable. But we were able to get our client back as a preferred customer, as a preferred supplier to this customer. So it was really a win-win for everyone. And that's what we try to do. Because you're that damn lawyer. Because I'm that damn lawyer. Right? <laughs> Is there a specific case? Well, I want people to say it in a night. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, my God, there's that damn lawyer again. Well, that's I want the... people to think, there's that damn lawyer. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but it's all in fun love and branding. And even though, you know, the damn acronym kind of came out of our Provisors Networking community, it really suits what you do very, very well. Yes, it does. Yes, I mean, I don't, you know, it, this can definitely stretch above and beyond the provisors community because, you know, distribution and manufacturing is the real, you know, it, it really nicely brands you in a short amount of time and it gets people's attention saying, that damn lawyer, what did he do that was so damn? <laughs> well, that's right. And, and, you know, another thing that I'm very involved in is I'm, I'm, uh, I sit on a committee made up of people throughout the electronic components world who are trying to um, really prevent the importation of counterfeit parts coming in primarily from Asia. And so we're establishing standards for companies in that industry on how to deal with counterfeit parts. So 
we're we're not just handling litigation matters. We're trying to uh, help these clients in a lot of different ways. Yeah. No. Well, you you you're you're also business attorneys, Keith. So you resolve business problems in whichever in whichever legal and moral way you can. Well, that's right. And, and you know, one of the ways. I mean, when when a case gets to litigation. One of the ways that I try to that I really try to promote to get cases settled is through a process called mediation, and mediation takes place prior to trial, and it's a it's when you go when the parties and their attorneys meet with an independent third party who's not going to be deciding the case, but going to be looking at it hopefully from really from a not only legal perspective from but from also a business perspective, and. It's one of those rare opportunities where lawyers can be really creative and think out of the box. So, um, and it's a it's a way that could benefit our clients in a really positive way. So I try to use that quite often, especially in the beginning. One of the things that I've implemented in all the terms and conditions that I've prepared for my clients is that I include a, a mandatory mediation provision, so that. Um, if a dispute arises between the parties involved in a transaction, before any type of lawsuit is filed, they have to attend a mediation for a minimum of four hours so that the, they have an opportunity to sit down face-to-face and try to talk. Because once litigation is filed, then all lines of communication are basically done. Well, then you are not, then not only are you the damn lawyer, Keith, you're the damn creative lawyer. Well, there you go. Cindy, thank you. Hi, you know me. I'm just the you know <laughs> one minute brander. <laughs> yeah, but Cindy, you are you are probably the most one of the most creative people that I know. Just with all of the different ideas, I've seen you work in situations and in, in crisis management situations where you have brought so much to the table that you've been able to basically help people get reinstated in jobs in a case that I was involved in, um, in a way that no one would have thought of. You, you were able to help that person get his job back. Who would, and who would have thought that a publicity stunt like burning sneakers in a garbage can might do that? <laughs> hey, it worked. <laughs> it did. It well, worked. you know, but to your point, um, to your point, when you step out of sort of the linear areas that you know, that the law can sometimes, the law can sometimes create obstacles. And it's brilliant that you have included these mediation clauses in your contracts because what you have, in essence, given your clients is the opportunity to step a little bit outside of the, you know, the box of strict legal guidelines and coming out of it to use other approaches like mediation or crisis management or, you know, other things where you have a lot more leeway. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. We only do it to try to benefit the clients. Oh, and because, that's completely because understood. Because I've seen, I've seen what happens in litigation and how, uh, how stressful and how time-consuming and how terribly expensive it is. No, that's it's it's very true, and in this economy, it's a good thing to think of some cost-efficient provisions and exercises and solutions. Um, and speaking about cost efficiency, the California budget crisis 
had to affect your clients and the practice of law, hasn't it? Oh, uh, very much. Um, you know, I'm actually in court today, and um, what's happening now is when I first started practicing, um, there was nothing like an expedited trial program where cases would, you know, when, when I started, it was normal for it to take four to five years for a case to go up to trial. And usually what would happen is you'd have to wait five years and then you'd get your case in trial. Well, that's awful. That, that, that means the wheels of justice are moving way too slowly. And the legislature was able to pass this expedited trial program and it moved things. It was an incredibly positive statute. And eventually, we were able to get cases to trial within a year to 18 months. And it was great for anybody who was litigating. But now, because of the budget crisis, we're reverting back to having cases take the three, four years before they get to trial. And it's terribly unfortunate. Yeah, it's changed the way that lawyers have to think. Um, but it seems that you have found some, you know, some solutions. So it's really, we can't, we can't always prevent the problems and the obstacles, but at Greenberg and Bass, you're really about trying to find the well, solutions. And with that, we're at the end of our show, Keith. So I'm really sorry that we don't have more time, but I told you it would go really fast. Thank you, Cindy. It did. And, and what we try to do at Greenberg and Bass is we try to create win-win solutions for our clients. Very well said. I want to thank everybody from Greenberg and Bass Law for joining the show today. And, Keith, you have a terrific day. You too, Cindy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American. I-